0: Welcome back to Steph's Business Bookshelf, episode 53. Keep listening to find out why we're not talking about a business book this week. You're listening to Steph's Business Bookshelf, doing the reading so you don't have to. Welcome back, and hopefully you did stay past that intro and didn't fall off your chair or just generally fall over at the shock we're not doing a business book this week. It's not even a non-fiction book. We are going fiction. one week only because we're in the twilight zone we're in that funny space we're in week 53 but we're not yet one year old because the podcast was launched on the 14th of january 2019 which means it's not till next week week 54 that we are a year old so there we go so i thought well given this is some weird twilight zone and limbo land we are going to go with a fiction book And the other thing that spurred me to do the fiction book is I was following someone on Bookstagram recently, on Instagram, and they were saying about how fiction books expose you to a world where, or to situations where you wouldn't normally be exposed to, or that you wouldn't normally be exposed to. Now you can obviously argue that non-fiction clearly can do that too, but fiction can do it in obviously a very different way. Now whilst I won't be hurrying to read any science fiction or anything like that anytime soon. Not big wizards and aliens kind of fan. But that said, there are some awesome novels out there where we can actually take some really valuable life lessons away and are very applicable to work, to business, to careers, whatever it is you're doing. So for that reason, this week I'm talking about the classic animal farm. Now, little admission. Towards the end of 2019 I was also getting slightly concerned that I wasn't going to meet my book quota for my goal for the year of 31, reading 31 books. Animal Farm is a beautifully short book at 112 odd pages, 113 pages roughly, and as a result I was, could sit and read that in one sitting and take off another book from my list. Look, I'm human, what am I going to do? Something else I really love about going back and reading some of these classics that maybe you read at school or read at another point in your life is just that very point of revisiting them and reading them with a different point in your life and under a different frame of reference and seeing new maybe ideas or new applications or new metaphors in the books that you read maybe when you were quite young or certainly at a different stage of life. As usual though, a little bit about the author and the book before we dive into the three big ideas I took from the book Animal Farm by George Orwell. George Orwell was the pseudonym of Eric Arthur Blair, born 25th of June 1903 in Bengal, India, and who died January the 21st, 1950 in London. So we're actually coming on for almost exactly 70 years since he died too. He was an English novelist, essayist, and critic, famous for his novels Animal Farm in 1945 and 1984 in 1949. That's confusing. The latter a profound anti-utopian novel that examines the dangers of totalitarian rule. Orwell never entirely abandoned his original name, but his first book, Down and Out in Paris and London, appeared in 1933 as the work of George Orwell, the surname he derived from the beautiful River Orwell in East Anglia in the UK. In time, his de plume became so closely attached to him that few people but relatives knew his real name was Eric Arthur Blair. The change in name corresponded to a profound shift in Orwell's lifestyle, in which he changed from a pillar of the British imperial establishment into a literary and political rebel. And that's why we love him. That was taken from the Britannica.com website, link is in the show notes. Which is also where I took this little about the book. In 1944, Orwell finished Animal Farm, a political fable based on the story of the Russian Revolution and its betrayal by Joseph Stalin. In the book, a group of barnyard animals overthrow and chase off their exploitative human masters and set up an egalitarian society of their own. Eventually, the animal's intelligent and power-loving leaders, the pigs, subvert the revolution and form a dictatorship whose bondage is even more oppressive and heartless than that of their former human masters. Coining the quote, or the famous quote, all animals are equal, but some animals are more equal than others. At first, Orwell had difficulty finding a publisher for the small masterpiece. But when it appeared in 1945, Animal Farm made him famous and for the first time, prosperous. Now, obviously, the timing of this in 1945 was no accident in terms of the inspiration he took for the book based on the Russian Revolution but also the Nazi regime that was happening throughout Europe and obviously at the back of World War II which ended in 1945. As a result and because it's very anti-communism message the book was banned and actually still is banned in certain countries and one of the things I found when I read the book was it's actually quite a bleak look at humanity which... Even in 2020, as we are now, 70 years after Orwell died, I think is absolutely relevant and just as relevant now as it was then. Now while some countries and political regimes may have changed, there is an interesting overlap when you see certain countries going slightly backwards in some ways around some of these ideas. Which is quite scary when you actually then read Animal Farm and put, or start to think about what could happen in certain countries as a result of certain leaders. But let's get into the three big ideas I took from the book Animal Farm by George Orwell. Number one, hard work is not always the answer. Now, a little spoiler alert here, but look, this book's been out for like 70, 80 years. I'm probably not gonna apologize too much if I ruin anything for you. Poor old Boxer the horse was so loyal and his answer to all problems was, I will work harder. He got up earlier and earlier each day to do more work and to try harder and to work harder. I thought it was quite cute in the book that he got the cockerel to wake him up a little bit earlier each day. I've seen this many times and it's rewarded in different companies, and, I, and one of the other metaphors or things I liked about this book was you can see some of this play out in organizations. So even in those micro cultures of companies or organizations versus whole countries or, or political regimes, there's there's elements of this that are so relevant to organizations. And like I said, I've seen this kind of mentality many times and it's been rewarded that strongest person who keeps doing all the heavy lifting on the promise of a future reward. Box of the horse was promised that when he retired, he'd have access to this paddock out the back and he'd have access to apples and all the hay and grass that he wanted. But over time, that paddock got changed into or used for other purposes to serve the pigs instead of the future retirees. So this nest egg that he was looking forward to in his retirement just kept diminishing, but he kept working harder until one day it got too much. And instead of being looked after, he's sent off to the knackers yard to be made into glue. And that was his reward for working so hard. Now that's not to say that hard work is never the answer. Of course, it's not saying that hard work is is a bad thing. But the point of this is really that it depends what you're working for or towards and who you're working for. Is that promise that you're working towards, is it really there? Does it really exist? Is that gonna change? We'll talk about that a little bit more as we get into big idea number three that was big idea number one. Hard work is not always the answer. Big idea number two is that of elitism. The pigs and the dogs had special privileges, particularly the pigs. And what did that mean for everyone else? You have to keep an eye on the rules. So at the beginning of the book, once they overthrew the, the man or the farmer that used to own the farm, the animals set some commandments. And it was things like that animals should never walk on two legs because two legs are bad, four legs are good. It also said that the animals should never sleep in a bed and do other certain human things. Over time, however, the pigs found that some of those things were actually quite good and want, they wanted them. So they changed the rules. They adjusted the education of the other animals so that they wouldn't be able to read the commandments and see, certainly read the change commandments to see that the pigs were changing the rules and moving the goalposts and twisting things so that they could get these special privileges and the rules would change around them. So it's something to bear in mind. Is someone else playing with the goalposts whilst nobody is looking? And this, I think, is really relevant again in organisations and certainly in countries. Rules are set up early on to maintain some kind of equality, some kind of democracy, whatever it is that's generally a good thing. Do they start to get changed? Do certain groups start to be penalised? Do certain groups start to be repressed and, again, equally relevant in companies? Are some groups getting a better experience than others? And that can be from a DNI perspective, but it can also be from a development perspective too. So that was big idea number two, being aware of the rise of elitism. Big idea number three is you might become everything you hate. Initially, the pigs were at the front of the queue to overthrow the farmer. They were the first to point out all of the bad things that the, the farmer had done on the farmers and the humans will do. So it started out very much as a man versus the animals. Then it became animals versus the man. Then the pigs versus the animals. And then the pigs and man versus the animals. And just saw this power dynamic shift and the tables keep turning as different or as the pigs started to control things and get pretty comfortable pretty quickly with the luxuries that they could afford themselves by keeping things to themselves. They got a bit of a taste of being above the others and started to live like humans and change the rules along the way. And ultimately they became everything they hated. They even started to teach themselves to walk on two legs because they realized that this would give them an advantage, potentially unfair, in the real world. Again, this one jumped out in terms of from an organization perspective. When I look at organizations and see people sometimes go up the ranks and move and and get promoted, suddenly they forget maybe that they were junior at one point and they did have to go through the ropes and go through the motions. But the power kind of goes to their head and they become everything that they said they didn't want and the things they used to complain about about their leaders are the things that they then start manifesting and and portraying to the people working with them. So that's big idea number three, you might become everything you hate. Like I said, whilst this is a dystopian society that has been created, which I imagine we're fairly safe is never going to actually come to life that the animals will overthrow the farms, arguably they maybe should in some cases, as I mentioned earlier though, it is an interesting overlap between what's happening in certain organisations and countries and societies now, versus what was happening 80 odd years ago when this book was originally written. Now I don't need to go away to to Press, this is why we don't do fiction very often because this is the kind of fiction I like, is the kind of awful dystopian future stuff. However, it is something to think about and is, is a different perspective that you wouldn't get in a normal non-fiction business book, so for that reason. I would recommend you reading Animal Farm. Plus, it's a classic. You should probably read it anyway. want to tick off the list. You can read it in a sitting. It's pretty quick and easy. It's not particularly complicated. And it's one if you've got teenagers or anyone at kind of school age in your life, then it might be a good one to read if they're reading it at school or at college. That's it for this week. Next week, birthday episode. Hooray! Bit of a fun one, bit of a different one again. We'll get back to our normal book nonfiction book schedule the week after next week's special birthday episode is about how to build or five top tips on how to build a solid reading habit in 2020 so if you're looking to build and not just have me do the reading for you but me supplementing your reading that you're going to be building in 2020 and taking some books off the list maybe books that we've shared on the podcast that you've listened to and you've been inspired to actually read yourself then I will be sharing some top ideas with you on how I started my reading habit and how you can do the same in 2020 and making this the year maybe even the decade that you bring books back into your life if you like this episode let me know there's a link in the show notes to my instagram and my linkedin i would love to hear from you i love getting messages from people who have been listening and who have been taking good ideas and things away from the books we've been talking about thank you very much happy new year and until next time happy reading